Thank you for joining us. We are Finding God in Video Games, and today we are continuing our series on the dangers of being disconnected. For our next episode, we are taking a deeper look at Microsoft and Bethesda's 2022 showcase. You know, both Microsoft and Bethesda had a lot riding on this summer showcase. You know, between Microsoft's spending frenzy to acquire some of the hottest developers on the planet, including Bethesda, right. and the incredibly unwelcome news that Bethesda's most anticipated release, Starfield, been delayed to 2023, now, this show <laughs> needed to be the gaming equivalent of a Grand Slam, a game-winning touchdown, and a half-court buzzer beater all in one. And if none of those sports ball analogies work for you, let's just say, <laughs> I was gonna say it needed lot. to be really, really good. Basically, just saying. yeah, it basically just had to be good. <laughs> so fortunately for Microsoft, the event definitely seemed to live up to the hype, producing some exceptional moments, like when genius gaming creator Hideo Kojima shocked the world with the revelation that he is developing an exclusive title for the Xbox. Incredible announcements about the future of Forza and other core Xbox titles. And even the Halo integration into games like Microsoft Flight Simulator and Fall Guys. But it was the actual gameplay reveal for Starfield, Bethesda's next major franchise release, that carried the most pressure leading up the show, considering we're going to have to wait a little longer to play it. The question is, did it deliver? Now, from our perspective, I'm going to say it was a resounding yes. The wait to explore the galaxy and beyond may have gotten a little bit longer, but with the announcement that this game will feature 100 solar systems. Yeah, that's a lot. A total of 1,000 planets. <laughs> well, Dude, that's going to take a minute. That's, that's, that's going to take a very long I, time. I don't know if you'll ever finish that game. I'm not sure I'll ever start it. It's <laughs> <That's laughs> a lot to it? do. It is. Intimidating. Will, and, and there's a lot of questions that I have going into this now. Will these planets be procedurally generated worlds like rival space exploration title No Man's Sky, or will they be large, handcrafted, but ultimately lifeless empty spaces like a lot of the most recent Fallout's Wasteland? Well, we don't have those answers yet. We may not for a little while. But at least we have a little better idea why this incredibly ambitious title won't be hitting store shelves this year. Right. It's because it's going to be far bigger than any of us had anticipated. Now, with your experience, have you ever heard of a game this big? N not being good, I... no. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> not, See, not, not to concern. that level, yeah. no. I mean, yeah. like, No Man's Sky is the most obvious comparison here, and well, No Man's Sky got there. Its original release was was less than stellar, and then after they updated it and provided you know things to actually do, it became much, much better. But Starfield... With the delay, we're going to expect that it's ready to go from day one, not after, you know, the 40,000th patch on it. <laughs> right. So it's going to be a huge title. And the developers, they made a difficult and incredibly unpopular decision to delay their game rather than what many developers do, which is compromise their vision for it. And to be fair, this didn't exactly endear them to their new bosses at Microsoft or the gaming world at large. But honestly... It's the right call. From the massively complex amount of ship options to a storyline that will have to incorporate large amounts of player choice and dialogue options, you know, the kind of things that Bethesda's titles are known for, there's just simply no room for allowing the opinions or the demands of others to influence them to do this on a different timeline, with different priorities, or in a different manner than what makes a Bethesda game a Bethesda game. 
One of the largest challenges in making any video game is the pressure to meet the expectations of many different people. I mean, you got the press, you got the publisher, you know, the people are actually paying you to make the game. Then you got the public, the people you actually want to buy the game, and so many more. And as developers attempt to meet the desires and requirements of each of these distinct audiences, while still remaining true to their original vision of the game, the pressure to compromise slowly begins to seep in. Features are cut to make budget demands. Shortcuts are accepted to make specific timelines realistic. Next thing you know, the incredible promise of a game with massive potential is reduced to a collection of bugs and glitches that meant well, but were fatally flawed due to the compromises that were made. And sadly, as we'll find in our third church in this series on the seven churches in Revelation, the church at Pergamos was a church full of good intentions and even some very solid output. But the compromises that they had permitted to infiltrate them had placed them into a fatal position of disconnect. The church at Pergamos, they had some pretty serious street cred. When we look at them in Revelation chapter 2, we see they had faced persecution in the heart of the enemy's territory, and they didn't flinch. This was neither a soft church, nor was it a church that was afraid of conflict. But even with these amazing accolades, still had a couple of problems. Big problems that threatened to disconnect them from their purpose. Revelation 2, verses 12 through 17. To the angel of the church in Pergamos write, These things says he who has the sharp two-edged sword. I know your works and where you dwell, where Satan's throne is. And you hold fast to my name and did not deny my faith, even in the days in which Antipas was my faithful martyr, who was killed among you where Satan dwells. But I have a few things against you, because you have there those who hold the doctrine of Balaam, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before the children of Israel, to eat things sacrificed to idols, and commit sexual immorality. Thus you also have those who hold the doctrine of the Nicolaitans, which thing I hate. Repent, or else I will come to you quickly, and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. I will give him a white stone, and on the stone a new name, written which no one knows except him who receives it. The church at Pergamos might have gotten a lot right but they had allowed compromise to enter their doors through two distinctly named doctrines, the doctrine of Balaam and the doctrine of the Nicolaitans. Now, the Balaam one is pretty easy to interpret, since the Lord doesn't waste any time reminding us of his story from Numbers chapters 22 through 24. He was the guy who was the unwilling prophet, who valued the opportunity for riches and fame and favor over obeying the directions of the Lord. His final solution involved introducing sinful compromises into the people of Israel that derailed their journey into the Promised Land. And that doctrine was present in the seemingly vibrant church. So that one's easy. But what about this doctrine of Nicolaitans business? Well, that one is a little trickier. And the Bible remains intentionally vague on what the doctrine of the Nicolaitans actually was. While it clearly seems to be tied into the compromises mentioned from the sins of Balaam that resulted in multiple sins, it's never fully defined in the scriptures. Now, there's a variety of different views that have surfaced over the years. 
ranging from the teachings of a heretical deacon named Nicholas all the way to antinomianism, a term that indicates a compromised lifestyle between Christianity and the pagan religious beliefs of that time. We may never know the exact details behind this doctrine, but we do know one thing for certain. God hated it. I wonder why it was so vague. Well, I, I don't know that we were supposed to be able to nail it down. I think it's intended to be able to cover a large variety of potential false doctrines. And as we're going to see with another exceptionally fatal act of compromise, the Lord won't accept any of the offerings and sacrifices we make for him if we have compromised the means by which we are giving them. So to talk about that, we kind of need to go back to one of the most commonly known rebellious leaders that God chose who let him down, King Saul. In 1 Samuel chapter 13, verses 5-10, through 10, we find one of his tragic stories. It says, Then the Philistines gathered together to fight with Israel, 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen, people as the sand which is on the seashore in multitude. They came and encamped in Mishmash in the east of Beth-Avon, when the men of Israel saw that they were in danger, for the people were distressed, then the people hid in caves, in thickets, in rocks, in holes, and in pits. Some of the Hebrews crossed over the Jordan to the land of Gad and Gilead. Now, as for Saul, he was still in Gilgal, and all the people followed him, trembling. Then he waited seven days, according to the time set by Samuel. But Samuel did not come to Gilgal. And the people were scattered from him. So Saul said, Bring a burnt offering and peace offerings here to me. And he offered the burnt offering. Now it happened, as soon as he had finished presenting the burnt offering, that Samuel came. And Saul went out to meet him, that he might greet him. Saul was chosen and anointed as the very first man that God selected as king over Israel. And that's a pretty big deal, considering... God didn't want a king in the first place. He talked about that in 1 Samuel 10. But all of that promise would be squandered in Saul's first major test of faith, a battle with the Philistines. Saul knew that the expectation was that prior to the battle, they would seek the Lord's blessing on the engagement via a sacrifice that had to be made by the high priest. There's a little problem. The Lord's messenger, well, he was running a bit, little bit late. The people were getting nervous, and Saul got restless. A fatal combination of fear, impatience, faithlessness, and hubris inspired Paul to overstep his role and present a compromised sacrifice. Now, while his offering technically met the criteria for seeking the Lord's blessing, it was not offered according to the specific way the Lord had instructed his people to perform it. In this case, only Samuel was permitted to take this action. And by usurping Samuel's role, Saul had placed the mission above the master. Saul allowed what he saw, what he heard, and what he felt to override his better judgment. And this compromising shortcut would be the beginning of Saul's painful downfall and ultimately disconnect him from the mission he was originally called to. We'll continue his story in 1 Samuel 13, verses 11 through 14. Samuel said, what have you done? Saul said, when I saw that the people were scattered from me 
and that you did not come within the days appointed. And the Philistines gathered together at Mishmash, and then I said, The Philistines will now come down on me at Gilgal. I have not made supplication to the Lord. Therefore I felt compelled and offered a burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, You have done foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which he commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought for himself a man after his own heart. The Lord has commanded him to be commander over his people, because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. It's not really what you want to hear. Not so much. <laughs> Saul found so out much. the hard way. The Lord has zero tolerance for compromise, regardless of our intentions. Saul ended up winning the battle with the Philistines, but he lost his kingdom in exchange. His act of compromise completely disconnected him from the God who had chosen him in the first place. The reality for all of us is that as followers of Christ, we are going to be pushed and pulled in many directions. And underneath all of the pressure that we feel, internally and externally, we will eventually find ourselves in a position of being tempted to make small compromises for the greater good. The pressure to fit in while still standing out. To let our light shine without shining it directly into somebody's eyes. To be in the world, but not of it. To accomplish the challenge that Pergamus did of building a church directly where the enemy dwells. Expectations exist inside our faith, outside of our faith, and even within ourselves that can allow us to drift into a state of compromise in order to achieve our goals. But the end never justifies the means in the Lord's eyes. There's only his way, his time, and his message. And if we're going to present something to him that requires compromise to achieve, he'd rather not have it at all. The missions we've been chosen for in this life are specific and important. But the Lord designed our path in a manner that will require us to lean on him and his provision throughout the journey. Now, perhaps you don't plan to make any burnt offerings in a manner that will offend him. I mean, I'm pretty sure that'd be a violation of most of our rental agreements or our HOA guidelines. You'll probably get kicked out. But compromise comes to us in many forms, luring us in with the promise of success without all the discomfort associated with obedience. Less waiting, less pain, less awkwardness, all for the low, low price of completely undermining the purpose of our faith in the first place. As a matter of fact, when Christ was tempted by Satan in the wilderness, he wasn't asked to stop his mission. He was just offered a path of compromising his path with a shortcut past the pain. See that in Luke 4, verses 5 through 8. It says, The devil, taking him up on a high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. The devil said to him, all this authority I will give you and their glory, for this has been delivered to me, and I give it to whoever I wish. Therefore, if you will worship before me, all will be yours. And Jesus answered and said to him, Get behind me, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Compromise can come to us in a variety of ways, but they all serve the same purpose. They disconnect us from our master in the disguise of completing our mission. 
Perhaps these shortcuts involve compromises for the sake of faster growth, a larger degree of popularity, increase our feelings of self-sufficiency, or simply to increase our comfort. Saul faced all of these pressures, accepted the easier path, and lost his crown as a result. Jesus was presented these same options, and he denied his fleshly desires and gained an internal crown by enduring his cross. Our enemy isn't always going to try to get us into a place of abandoning our faith in God. He'll often try the more subtle approach of introducing just enough pressure to tempt us to a path of compromise in order to achieve our well-meaning goals, disconnecting us from the very source of our power, ultimately rendering our actions meaningless. Now let's get back to our Starfield predicament for a second. Bethesda was purchased by Microsoft for a reason. They make iconic games that many of us are still playing decades after their release. Some of them we have even purchased on multiple platforms to play them over and over and over again. I'm pretty sure Skyrim has been released on everything from the Xbox 360 to graphing calculators at this <laughs> point. And in order to connect with their audiences in the manner they have done so successfully over the years, they have chosen to remain focused on their North Star, delivering the Starfield experience that we're all expecting. And they're going to do exactly that, even if it comes many months later than we planned, releases on a different console than we currently own, and is developed using different design methods than we would have preferred. The pressure to be everything to everyone is overwhelming in any arena. But compromising the mission by using an unapproved method will only result in offering the Lord strange fire that he cannot accept. Story on that is in Leviticus chapter 10. Fortunately for us, Bethesda is showing the restraint that we all need to demonstrate in our service to the Lord a message of boundless grace delivered without compromising the process of receiving it. It may take longer to do it the Lord's way. That's okay. The path he's placed us on may not be littered with praise and popularity. His wasn't either. Achieving the mission his way may mean we miss the deadlines we plan to hit, may lead us to places we wouldn't have chosen, may feel more difficult and painful than it needed to be. But it is only through refusing the shortcuts and denying ourselves the path of least resistance that we will reach the fullness of the vision he has for us and deliver an uncompromised star field worth waiting for. Finish with Romans chapter 12. Verse 2, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. We truly hope this has encouraged you today. And if you'd like to connect with us or check out some of our other content, such as our articles, videos, daily devotionals, and gaming streams, we can be found on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok.